right. Dance. Dance. With Matt Navarre and, and Dr. Matt Petrovsky. Matt Petrovsky. Petrovsky or Petrovsky, if you pronounce it that way. I like I like my version. <laughs> Did you know that we've been doing this podcast for like 11 years? Reliably? No. Well, no, I mean... <laughs> But we've, we've come out with at least one episode per year. <laughs> Actually, it's been at least like three or four, but not necessarily, you know, monthly or every other week. True. All of our uh, loyal, li- loyal listeners are probably like, oh, guys, why can't you just come up with something on a regular basis? Do you have hey, a but schedule? Now we, but now we have a schedule. We have like recurring calendar appointments. We do, and we have been sticking to them pretty close, except for, uh, uh, what was it, the Thanksgiving missed, holidays. two weeks ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got sick, and I don't yep. know if you can hear it, but it's my voice is not still not back to it. It's one of those stupid take-forever days, or take-forever colds, or they take like two months before your voice feels like it's back to normal. Oh, yeah, you do sound awful now that I listen more carefully. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So we were thinking about giving everybody some gifts because this is a Christmas episode, were we not? Yeah. Nice. Well, let's let's jump into uh, those gifts and just let's just start lavishing presents on everybody. So this one is by way of my friend Tom Fitch, and it was a. I love when I learning. Oh, that's really good grammar there. Uh, when I can learn something new about FileMaker to solve a problem that I've kind of wished for for a long time. Here's the scenario. You have a complex graph, as you know, one does, and you you want to know if a given table occurrence on the graph has um, the underlying table has more than one table occurrence for that underlying table, right? So like you can look at your graph and you click on the invoice table occurrence on one of them, your main one. How do you know that there's one, that's the only one or that there's another one? Right, so you can uh, there's a feature that you can click on when you're looking at the graph. If you choose one of those table occurrences, you can click on the little graph tool thing next to the hundred percent and click on the option that says select tables with same source table. Right, command right. U. That's the only one I know about. Is in there? It's down at the bottom. Uh, yeah, down at the bottom, bottom of the graph, and there's like select similar. Yeah, it's not similar. It's a select with same source table. But if your graph is really big, like hundreds or thousands of TOs, you can't, I mean, even though the other ones get highlighted, you can't really see them very easily. Um, Right. And I mean, so you don't actually know if there is more than one, if there's one other one somewhere deep away, where the heck is it? So I would have to zoom out and then use that select tables with same source and then just try to look for the highlight. And if I zoom out, then the highlight actually gets Smaller and smaller, which is sort of lame. Yeah, so uh, so I guess really what I'm trying to get to is a binary answer of like, is there or is there not another table occurrence? Okay. And what Tom pointed out is something that's pretty subtle, which is this. If you use that function, select same, then the four buttons under the arrange that allow you to group table occurrences will highlight. They'll become active because there actually is more than one table occurrence. Right. Select it. But if, there's, if that's the only table occurrence for the underlying table, those four of them will not highlight. Ah, so you can okay. actually get an answer to your question. It's pretty subtle, but it's, it's pretty useful when the time comes. Just based on the UI change, using the exactly. UI as feedback. Precisely. 
Nice. Interesting. Well, I think I can say that I don't typically work with graphs that are that big. Or I haven't as of lately. It's been a yeah. long time since I have. Where I hmm. am not able to... And, uh, well, as a side bonus to that, one of the things, one of the plugins that I use is the MBS plugin. And the MBS plugin, which you can download for free, it actually puts search boxes in most of the common areas of FileMaker, the graph included, so that you can actually just type in the name of a TO if you want, and it will jump to it for you. So I don't use that one a whole lot, but it is there and it's available, which is... It's nice. I wish FileMaker would round out their their development environment and you know put these search features in natively. I mean, shoot, we're creating super complex things. We need to be able to find things. Once you go beyond seven, the human brain just doesn't keep much more in its head at one yep. time. Uh, that's disassociated, I should say. Cool. That's cool. I did not know that. That's a good one. Give me a gift. Come on, give the give the people a gift. All right. So. You, uh, it's super common to um, display either above a well above a portal. We'll just go with that one. So you've you've got a portal. That portal has a list of objects in it or a count of objects. There's 15 items, and you want to say like 15 contacts or whatever. Mm-hmm. Of course, you can use summary fields, and summary fields will give you the count. You can use a count within the summary field or a total. But those are costly. Any summary fields cost a whole lot. Instead, what you can do is in the child table, just make an unstored calculated field of get found count. Where get found count normally is for the current found set, how many records it has found. But if you use it as a related field on a layout, it'll actually show you the related count. And there's very that's, low cost. That's really cool. There's no well, let's cost, back actually. Up to summary fields being, low co- being high cost. And you're not talking about calculation fields that use the summary function. You're talking about summary fields that can do like average and count exactly. of and list Ex- of and things like that. Exactly. So wh- what's high cost about those? Uh, well, they can be when you've got a lot of them showing on a layout. You mean, if you, 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 mean, just, if you uh, just have one, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, definitely. Display performance. Now, there's also a, a little trick that's related. I haven't done it a whole lot. Um, summary functions, related summary functions, when shown within a portal, will work. Um, and then you can control where they show based on uh, using the hide calculation. Using a There's some tricks that you can use where you have to use the uh, the insert variable where you can insert the get record number. This is a trick that I use oftentimes. Mm -hmm. If you want certain things to only show on certain rows, you can put in a piece of text where that text uses the insert, you know, the insert variable where you're inserting like a, a one of FileMaker's environment symbols where it uses the double brackets, you know, the curly braces. Mm hmm. So you've got the double curly brace, and then you've got record number. If you put that into a text block and put that into a portal row, you can then hide that by setting, say, set the color of the text to the same color as the background of the portal row. So you're not Mm -hmm. going to be able to see it, 
but you're now able to use conditional formatting on that row and say, if I'm row number one, show my results or whatever. So you can have a second piece of text in that same text block, which can be like a count or a value, anything coming from another mm -hmm. field, and that row will reveal. So when you combine mm -hmm. that with other things that are in the portal row, say fields or what have you, you can hide all the fields or the buttons and everything else and then just use that row for the purpose of display to maybe make like a pseudo header or something. Sure. Um, so I, I like doing that one a lot, but it's about the yeah, only way that you can determine on a given portal row what that row number is, is using that, uh, that merge symbol or I forget what FileMaker calls them. When you're in layout mode, if you go up to um, the insert menu, FileMaker calls them other symbols, but there are one, two, three, four, five. There are five of them that are above uh, that are right. date symbol, time symbol, username, which I, why do they even keep this in here? Username is completely yeah. pointless in FileMaker now. <laughs> Account name's all that matters. Page yeah. number and record symbol. But then they decided to just put in other symbol and list all of the rest of everything. They should have just combined all of those into one thing that says merge layout symbol or something or add layout symbol. Yep. Because they're all the same. It's true. I actually really like that they have a menu for all the other symbols with a whole bunch of interesting things on there. It's pretty much all of the environment Everything that yeah. you have with the get functions, you have, yeah. you don't have to create a calculation. That's a tip right there. I can't, I can't, there are so many FileMaker databases that I open and they have a calculated unstored value that uses something like get account name so that in the header, people can show, um, hello, Chris, today is, you know, whatever, 2000. You can do that completely without calculations. Uh, you can do that completely with uh, adding just a, selecting the little T tool, adding a box of text to your layout, and then go up to the insert other symbol. And you can insert the account name, you can insert the current date, the current mm -hmm. time, uh, and all kinds of other stuff. You're looking yeah, at Yeah, you can a, insert a UUID, which every single time you visit that record will be different. Completely. <laughs> <laughs> it's like using a random number. It is using a random number. So that's... That's a tip. You got a you you have uh, one. If you if you open FileMaker, they'll just jump out at you. I know it's kind of true. Yeah, I, honestly, when you were describing that particular thing, I would frequently use a button bar as a layout calculation object mm -hmm. rather than because that, that way I can put all my code in one place. In terms of this is the lineup that I'm on, this is the condition that I want to be true or not true, and then just have a case statement in there um, to show that like if I wanted to be a header or or show data. Perfect. I, I generally um, try to stay away from allowing data entry in portals. So button bars are pretty good for that because you can't actually interact. But in your case, you'd actually be able to have real fields plus also your display data there. Um, yep. The, there's a really good, actually, when you mentioned button bars, there's a really good <coughs> tip. Here's a nice uh, Christmas tip. One of the things that I use, Exactly what you said you use button bars for. Because a button bar has access to the calculation engine, you can take it one step farther. And the default styling that you apply to a segment of a button bar, let's say that styling is 
You're using Helvetica New, and you're using 16-point black type. Mm -hmm. You can take it beyond that. Uh, a lot of newer FileMaker developers, what they do is they will add yet another button bar or yet another block of text or yet mm -hmm. another field. If you want to display multiple field, multiple, uh, field values, but you want those to look differently, just use FileMaker's text formatting functions. So within that calculation on the butter bar, uh, button bar, butter mm -hmm. bar, <laughs> if you have a, if you, if you're showing the name of a person and that's inheriting the default styling of the button bar, which is this Helvetica black 16 point underneath it. If you want to show the address and you want to show that in uh, 11 point gray, just put it in there, but apply the text formatting mm. and it forcibly, uh, will change just that text alone. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, here's another good tip <laughs> yeah. uh, that comes with button bars or any text object. The way that FileMaker's override system works is such that as soon as you use FileMaker's text formatting functions, those are the final say. So if, for example, you have a button bar and that button bar, you want to be able to conditionally change the color of the text. You cannot use the text formatting functions to change that coloring. You would use the text formatting functions to change the styling, such as the uh, size of the font or whether it's bold or plain. Oh, but then you would use conditional formatting in order to change the color of the text. Now, unfortunately, hmm. that's an all or nothing thing. All of the text would all be changed to the new color. Because if you apply the text formatting and you made the text gray, then that would be the final say. Conditional formatting could not override those uh, text formatting functions, as far as I'm hmm. aware. Interesting. Yeah, it makes sense. And everything has to have a layer and has to have uh, one type of thing that wins. Yeah. So, you know, just like in conditional formatting, if you have multiple conditions that are all true, then they'll all be applied unless they conflict. Yes, and then I believe it's either the topmost or the bottommost. I think you just have to drag and yeah. rearrange them. And whatever that one is is actually on the certification test, but I don't remember it either <laughs> if it's the top or the bottom one. <laughs> Easy enough to just trial and error when, you, when, the, when the time comes. Exactly. Exactly. So anything else you've come across lately? Uh, nothing really jumps to mind because the main thing I've been working on lately is getting FM search results 6 out the door, which is now shipping. Now, embedded within there, I know there's going to be some types of tips, but let's talk about it. What yeah, did you, what very did you possibly. add new? I, I think actually a lot of it is just different search widgets, more than like more than FileMaker tips. It's just things that I've realized that can make search really work well. Some of which, some of those ideas you could take and apply to your own solution. Uh, and I don't, I don't want to turn this podcast into like, hey, go buy the stuff that you and I make. Well, where do uh, I find it? Is it at AppWorks? App.Works. App.Works. Yep, and then in the store. So click Is there on. a slash? Because I'm heading there now. It's just App.Works. And then and I would click on store or shop? Shop, yeah. This version is for sale. So price is 200 bucks, and I think it's on sale right now for 99 bucks. There are a ton of new features in it. Some of them are really under the hood, like we've switched entirely to virtual list and JSON for all the internal processing, which doesn't really have a direct benefit to a user until you kind of go into the code and want to do different things with it. 
But I've been thinking so much uh, about search lately and how to build systems that work, that give you results that are um, what you expect and give you, um, you know, really meaningful results. Now, are so you, search results. Give us a give us like a, a fifty thousand foot view. What do you are you doing? I'm assuming you're using because I haven't dug into it yet. Yeah. Should. You are giving multiple results across multiple tables, right? You get to specify which tables you want, and then it just goes and pulls multiple results from those, and then presents right. it in one, one one page view. Yeah. So basically, let's let's say you have a CRM that has company names, person names, phone numbers, addresses, uh, invoices, and what other type of data that you have, and you type in a person's name or a phone number or an invoice number or something like that. It will search across all of the tables and try to find a result that matches closely to that thing. So if it's a person name, it's probably only going to find it in one table. But if it's something generic, well, it could be something like an invoice number that could find that in a notes field and the invoice table and maybe somewhere else too. Maybe the same number is also a customer ID. And so it'll show you all those things on one page. But it goes way beyond that. Um, so first of all, that's actually pretty cool because there's no FileMaker feature that allows you to search multiple tables and see them in one place. True. Um, but it also searches with controlled level of, of features like depth, how far it searches in each of those places. So one of the things that's built in is a name substitution search. So if you've got a name like, if you search for Robert Smith and there's not a Robert Smith, It'll find Bob Smith because it has a built-in table of common uh, AKA names. Uh, now, I was going to ask if it supports things like SoundX and uh, you know different phonetic matches. Actually, yes. That's another feature. Nice. SoundX is not a very good one. We did use that one in the past. Um, so we're using Metaphone now, which is a stronger one. And Metaphone actually has different versions. Um, and so Metaphone does require that you actually use the metaphone function, which we provide, and store the metaphone for a name. I guess it works for anything, but really metaphone is designed for names. So that way, if you type in like Carrie, K-E-R-R-Y, and what really is in your database is Carrie, C-A-R-E-Y, spelled differently, different right. first letter, you know, completely different, but really the same name, it will find that. Nice. And you can turn that feature on only for, say, the person table and not for the invoice table. That's funny. I'm actually scrolling on the page at the point of a, the where I see the image where you're saying Carrie McGlasher, and it's yes. finding Carrie C A R R I E McGlasher. I, I, I didn't pick that um, one randomly. I think it's a really good example. <laughs> yeah, and funny. then it also works for the, those types of last names too, like M A C versus M C, um, and yeah, a lot of other. And it works for that one. It works for a lot of different names all around the world too. It's not just like, cause the other feature for name substitution, we sort of pre-programmed in names, you know, that were, that are common in the U S but if you've got, if your database has all names from, um, I don't know, some other country, it, it might not work as well. Um, it's very localized, but it's a customizable list. So you can, you can find a list from for where you live of, um, what common nicknames are and use that. Yeah. It does, does all this stuff too. It does like a, um, it searches for phone numbers with different formatting. So if you put dashes or slashes or spaces, so if your phone number data is not stored in a really consistent way, it also can ignore the area code 
So if you type in a phone number without an area code, it'll search for that phone number in any area code. It'll do something called date super search. So if you type for something like a date of birth um, and you're looking for someone born 3-1-1980, but, there's not, but it doesn't find that person, it'll also search for um, 1-3-1980, assuming yeah, that there's a typo. Flipping it to like a European Exactly. Standard. Yeah. Or 3 any day 1980 or um, any day on the 3rd in 1980 or 3 1 of any year. So those things, so it does four additional date searches. But only does that if it fails to find 3 1 80. So this, it has a whole bunch of failover things that it does in each table. Ah, um, and despite just... all that, it can do many, many searches. Like you just go to a Google search bar Type in, you know, ABC Tech or something, and it will be doing a search in, you know, many, many iterations of searches in many tables and does all of that in a fraction of a second. Dang. That's kind you, of the main. You, you jogged my memory about a, a nice gift. Uh, I'll see if you, uh, if you knew this one. Tell Did me. you know that FileMaker, when searching using the right-click option, you've used that one, right? You've got a number Great. of fields. And you're going to search those fields, and you can right-click, and you can say find matching records. Find matching, yes, I do know that function. And uh, then it's also got like uh, you know the extend and the uh, what's the other one? It's not condense. Yeah, constrain. Um, did you know that FileMaker supports searching only for what you have highlighted? Wait, so you can like click one word of something? Exactly. Just double-click, highlight one word. Then right click and then choose find matching records and that will be the search value. Hey. Otherwise I did not know that. Otherwise, if nothing is selected, it will use the full field the contents. Field. That's really cool. I just <laughs> tested it and it works. Maddie Christmas. Yes. <laughs> Little things that, that are just out there that you See, uh, I, don't know. Things like that make me so happy that some FileMaker <laughs> engineer thought of that, put it in the product. Didn't get demoed or documented or whatever, but boom, there it is. And that's exactly how you'd expect it to work. Yeah. And, and it's like, you don't even know that it's there and you're like, oh, geez, that's, that's, why didn't I know that? Why didn't anybody tell me? Yeah. And you just pick them up. Yep. I like it. So what are some things, what are some tips in the FM search that you've done that people might not know? There's got to be some tricks in there. Uh, well, some of them are one. That, here's an interesting one. Let's say you have email address stored in your database because yep. we all have that. If you go and you do a search for an email address and you type in matadapp.works, it's going to fail in FileMaker because at is a protected character. Right. It's a. It's not a word separator. Right. It's a. It's one of the protected search functions. The at character is single character of search. Right. I think. <clears throat> Um, okay, two ways around that. One of them, which is not super obvious, is you can change the storage of that field at the data level to ANSI. So you can go into your structure, click on your email field, and then in storage at the bottom, there's a default language 
Right. Actually, it's Unicode, not ANSI is what I meant to say. I was going to so say, I, I was going to say, I've always used Unicode. <laughs> yeah, it'll default to English or I'm not sure, default probably. But there's also another choice, which is Unicode. And if a Unicode stored field is in the database, um, then the at character will not work the way that it does in other fields. And, it, and the email address will be searchable under normal circumstances. And the other way to do it is you can put the email address in quotes when you do the search. So what search results does and has done for a long time is if you type something that it knows is an email address, then um, it'll just put it in quotes. And that way, if your field is stored Unicode or not, it'll still work. Yeah, and that's the one I suggest people use unless they're going to put in a... Um auto-enter value on email fields because the difficulty with Unicode is such that Unicode then becomes case-sensitive. So if you have an email address that has been entered with a starting capital letter and then you search for that email address with all lowercase, it won't be found because it's an exact match based on uh, the actual characters. So you have to make sure that your search... You have to do it in both places. You have to put the auto enter on the email address so it forces everything to lowercase. And then upon execution of a search, just in the off event that some user had caps lock turned on, you have mm. to enforce that the search that they're making a query for enforces that the email being searched for is all lowercase. That's that downside of using Unicode. But that's, that's true. That's what I that's what I use on my own systems when I enforce those rules like that, but otherwise, like you're saying, the quotes is easier. Yeah, case sensitivity. Yeah, quotes is easier, but you know, um, if, but if users sometimes are just going to hit Command F and go to the field and do it. Yep. Um, and email addresses really should be all over case, but I definitely see some people um, putting them putting caps in there. And of course, the email servers just don't care; they lowercase everything. It's not like. You know, like Matt at FileMaker Magazine with capital F, capital M is a different email address, you know. Yeah. So I have a question for you that will reveal a present. What okay. are the two places in FileMaker that you can control the units used for uh, the units of measure? So from going from points to inches to centimeters uh, and cycling around. Let me think. The only one I know of is when you're on the layout and you go to the um, inspector on the first tab, you can just click on points and it nav and it cycles through from points to inches to centimeters. And I thought there was one on a menu somewhere too, but I don't know off the top of my head. The, the second location is when you go up to the, when you're in layout mode, you go to view and you view the rulers and then up in the topmost left corner, it indicates the measuring system. And you can click ah. on that to cycle through the three different ones that FileMaker offers. I did know that, but I haven't used rulers in a long time. Ooh, I use rulers all the time. Do you? I use oh. guides a lot. Yeah, I use guides too. You know what? I actually wrote, I've been keeping a nice little list of things that if FileMaker ever decides to get to it, things that I wish they would change. And that would be uh, layout independent grid settings, layout independent guides. I mean, the guides themselves are. Uh, and But if you lock them, uh, 
what I had wanted as a Christmas present from FileMaker would be the ability to set whatever color I want for guides. Because it's either blue, pink, or black. And when they yep. go black, that's when they're locked. It's like, come on. I don't want a black guide. It just blends in with the rest of my UI. It's true. Yeah, the, the colors of the guides are, I think, the same as Photoshop 1.0 in 1981. <laughs> yeah, I wish they would just, when they implement these certain features, I wish they would just have somewhere within the preferences setting the ability to override or change these. It's, it couldn't be that hard to expose these things, and it would provide so much flexibility. For example, the guide or the grid, uh, if you were doing a dark mode look, and let's admit mm -hmm. it, dark mode is all trendy and hip right now. Oh my gosh, the guide is so obviously contrasted. It's like almost stark white. And if you're working yeah. on a dark gray, uh, very dark gray background, you can't even work. It's sort of like the sun shining in your eyes with all these grid lines. Hmm. And I Speaking need to be able to mode, control we, the color. We have a dark mode theme and a dark mode theme in FM Search Result 6. So you I can saw match it that. that. I was One reading. The, that's a very small feature, but there it is. I was reading that uh, as I was going down the page. So it's very um, cool. Let's see. What are, what's one of my other favorite things? It's working so much with JSON and increasing my use of it. Um, JSON set, is it set parameter? I always have everything in set context. Set element. Set element. You can have multiple, you can set an element of something, and if you set the element in, in, um, again in a, in a future script step that runs later, it'll just add to it. So you can take a blob of JSON, and you can sort of keep building it from different script steps, which is seriously cool. Yes. I thought you were actually going to, the tip you were going to give was um, the fact that in the JSON set element function, you mm -hmm. can have multiple... Uh, sets, multiple uh, items being set, just like you can in the substitute function. Right. That's extremely valuable. Oh, yeah. You only have use to use one JSON set element. You don't have to use That's, multiple yeah. embedded. Right. So one JSON set element can set 10 variables or something. Yeah. Set can, 10. 10 different yeah. uh, uh, key value pairs. Yep. Which we do a lot. And then some other script step sets two more because now it knows about those things because it, you know, of context. That became super useful uh, in a lot of the coding that we did here. Oh, there's a million more features, but I don't want to go too much about it. You can, there's a couple of videos showing some features. You can just buy it and play with it. There's, we're working on a version of it that you can just test in WebDirect on our server. Um, so you can just play with it and see how it works. So fully supports Go, Pro, and WebDirect. Nice. Looking forward to playing with it myself. Got any debugger tips? Debugger presence? Uh, debugger presence. Uh, do you actually mostly do coding of calculations in the data viewer? Um, I do my, my testing uh, in the data viewer. You know what I used to use a lot was... Um, I used to use the Draco Venture. Uh, oh, I, I totally remember it, that. Yeah, that he would allow you to evaluate, and it would evaluate in context. But then, um, I don't know, mm -hmm. I just haven't been using the that plugin as much most recently. I haven't that much either recently, and I don't know why, because it had a lot of really great utility. 
Yeah, especially, I mean, the searching was nice. It would search across things. But I think now, usually I'm so closely tied into my apps that I know enough that I'm not hunting. I'm not dealing with other people's solutions as much. If, if I was dealing with other people's solutions, I would definitely be using that. Um, I forget what it's called now. Um, I'll have to look Two that Empire, up. Two Empire Draco, FM Toolbox? Draco Ventions, I think, is... is that what it's called? Is the name yeah Draco Ventions is the name and Two Empower is the name of his plugin but then right. Developer Assistant that's what it's oh called. that's the one yes yeah um, I uh, huh. for finding things I ended up using uh, Dave's um, Todd selling it um, mm -hmm. FM Perception oh yeah super fast so analysis. if I need to find anything that was just always easy to just flip over there search for it and then just go get it yeah go to where it is. You asked about debugger tips. I don't know. I think I, I would say, and this might be kind of basic for some of our more expert developers, I, I don't actually go to the to the script workspace all that much. If I want to edit something, mm -hmm. I'll go to the like I'll go to the place I want to work, so invoice detail or whatever, and then open up debugger and click a button that does something. Get down to the line of code where I know I'm gonna do my work for the day. And then just use the pencil tool in the top left of the script debugger to open up that script at that line of code. Uh, to me, there we go. To me, that's more efficient than opening up the script debugger and scroll, or opening up script workspace, finding your script and scrolling to the spot where you want to work. And there we go. That's that's the tip I was going to say. In the bottom of the script debugger, where you have the call stack, you mm -hmm. can double click on any one of those scripts, any one or multiple. So you can open multiple scripts at the same time and they will each open in their own window so if ah, you have a call yes. stack that's like four scripts and there's two of them that you need to work with you just double click on those lines and it will open both of those scripts in separate windows i just tested that and i either didn't know it or forgot it and i am so happy <laughs> <laughs> that's cool yeah, yeah so I, mean, I mean it just you don't have to you don't have to go into the script workspace. Although I love it and I love its search feature, if you are mm -hmm. just working on something quickly, you just open up your call stack and double click. Yes, definitely. And I also really love that they actually it goes to that particular line of code. So if you open up the script and some of my scripts are long, um, it goes to that spot, which is cool. Yep. Very uh yep. very helpful. I use, I use all of the buttons in Script Debugger, the uh, step into, step over, step out, and especially set next step is a really awesome one. That one, I, am, I, I, I would love to run a poll and have that question, how often have you used set next step? And just hmm. to find out how many people, because that basically, I taught um, at DevCon most recently here, the, whatever it was. 2019, mm -hmm. one of my, inter I think it was intermediate, was um, teaching scripting. And the very first thing, and we talked about this in a previous podcast, in fact, the very first thing I would teach people is how to use the debugger. Because that teaches you when you go through other people's code. But the one thing that a lot of people, I think, they come to last is that set next step. Mm -hmm. And I tell people, I said, if I could change the icon on the debugger, I would change it and I would make that look like a rewind button because that's exactly what it is. It allows you to rewind to any point in time 
to completely test your script. That means you yep. can change variables in the data viewer. You can change values in certain fields if you have access to them. Sometimes the window's blocking and doesn't let you get into FileMaker, but yep. that that's it's just that's the best step. It's huge. It allows you to bypass code. Yeah. So the way that I yep. use it frequently, and I think I would say daily, I use this feature. Um, you, frequently, I'll have a sort of like um, a parent script that's really simple that has some simple case statements or a loop. Yep. And then a heavy duty script that's the black box script um, gets called by that one, and very frequently, like a black box or like a you know like more of a uh, input output script that doesn't really have context sometimes anyway. So, um, but if that's the script that I'm working on, the black box one, um, and I call it once and I, I, I see an error. So I'll use, I'll run the code into bugger and I'll go, Oh, that's the line of code. It's calling the wrong field, setting the wrong thing, something like that. Then I'll let that code finish executing. And then, um, script debugger will then go back to the previous script which allows me to then save whatever change I'm making to the child script. Yep. Then I can rewind using the rewind button because it's been renamed now. <laughs> um, and re-execute the new code and then test it the way that I just wrote it. So that's a huge benefit because you can't, you can't actually uh, edit a script, save a script while you're writing it. <clears throat> but if you use this two script method where you have script A calling script B and script B is the one that does all the work, I think one of the biggest reasons I do it that way is it allows me to write test, write test, write test um, using this this method. And in the same vein, I do the same thing. If I have a script that sets a lot of variables and I want to test different values within those variables, I will sit there and I will just go to the set variables, run through those. They're usually contiguous, you know, one, two, three, and four. Uh -huh. I'll set them. But then I can go into the data viewer and then uh, you, you can reset things, all kinds of stuff. And that's you just basically test and debug with the debugger actually sitting there and active. Just paused. Do you um, sometimes use silly variable names if, you're, if you know that you're the only one using the code? Oh, yeah. I'm always doing <laughs> uh, foo, bar, neat, wow, mm -hmm. and nice. For some reason, I use the word, those words. I'm like, all right, this is going to be nice code. And so I'm like, set var nice to <laughs> something. And then, yeah, I, I mean, it's totally, writing a script is just like, you know, creating anything. It's very iterative, and you just add to it. And once you're like, okay, yeah, that'll work, then you go back and rename the variable. Whatever or you not. Want. <laughs> yeah, or if you leave it just nice in there. And then your code you can't be read at all. I'll sometimes oh. name variables like Jeff, Ted, Mary, Joe, whatever. <laughs> just give them names. Dude, we should have we should have oh, that would be so cool if we if there were enough people out there that were listening, if we did like if we had done this early Christmas, I mean we could do this for Christmas. You have to write a Christmas poem script. It's a script that's got to do something, but it's got to, it's, the code has to read like something. I don't know. Okay. That would be funny to me. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> no, not that simple. With putting in really specific timings for the delays, except you can't change pitch. <laughs> well, if you can, if you can integrate the actual wording of the script, like, um, Set field to contain flowers. 
<laughs> you know, something like right. that, where you where you get a play on words on the things, and, and then it actually works. That's funny. Sure. Yeah. I see. Where, I see where you're going. Yeah. Set field to open and empty. Uh, go to layout. I don't know. Doing this on the fly would be terrible. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It would definitely definitely require the abuse of some uh, development hours. That's true. I see your field of field thing because that's clear. Field of flowers. You've got the other meaning. Layout. That's a little tougher one. Yeah. I mean, no. You have to think. It would be. Yeah. It would be a good challenge. Table. To come up with. It. Put. Put put variable flowers on and on table. Yeah. <laughs> so in script workspace, you yeah. would search for the for keywords table where you're trying to. Uh, double purpose them for things uh there's only there's only i just did a search right now there's only one script step let's see table yeah there's only one script step that uses the word table and it's truncate truncate table (laughs) so it'd be set variable saw to (laughs) truncate table (laughs) yikes yeah oh my gosh well, that's uh, that's getting goofy for Christmas. Must be the eggnog set in early onset without having had the eggnog myself. Which leads me to think we should do a drunk episode one day. Oh gosh, didn't they remember that? Or oh, that was kind of the rage in podcasts a bunch of years ago. Yeah, like uh, when podcasting was taking off, people would mm-hmm. drunk this, drunk that. Well, that, that yeah, not so much. I guess we still have drunk history, but yeah, I was gonna say that show, drunk history, that was funny. Yeah, that was so funny. So. Oh my gosh. Um, we've really nerded out on some fun tips. This is good. Yeah. I think we've given people some, uh, some pretty good, uh, Christmas presents here. Uh, lots definitely to investigate for people to go. If they haven't uh, used it, they can hit pause, go check it out within FileMaker, and great. I picked up all these presents under the tree, which is how your, t- your graph looks, looks just like a tree. Oh, now that's awesome. If we had With pictures for our podcast, I would make <laughs> a would I would make a relationship graph tree and that would be our uh, thumbnail for the podcast. That would be really cool. <laughs> yeah. Cuz you know, it's got branches and what else does it have? <laughs> ornaments, you could hang ornaments off of it. Yep. All right, my buddy. Well, I hope you have a good Christmas. Hope you do too. And uh Thanks for the card that you sent. That's awesome. Oh, like sure, yeah. We have a, a local uh, artist friend of mine um, and Kim's partner uh, draws those cards for us every year with all of our staff. They're really fun. They're totally he's super, awesome. super gifted. Ink Shift, you should look him up because he's amazing. Jeremy. Yeah. I mean, seriously, if, 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 he has, if he does work publicly, I mean, that guy should get paid like big dollars. Oh, yeah, dollars. he does. Yeah, he's his other work is amazing. He does he has several different sort of styles, but his pen and ink stuff is phenomenal. I think his Instagram just ink shift. You could follow him. I N K shift. I'm gonna go look it up. Um, let's see. Anything else? We've actually got some things that we have been planning for future episodes. Two of them, and I'd love to get some feedback from listeners. One of them is, which we talked about on the last one. I want to talk about how much you could do in FileMaker with a really restricted set of tools. You know, what, how much could you do with these six layout objects, these 10 script steps, um, you know? Yeah. So that's, that'll be our next podcast. 
Yeah, you actually you'd mentioned that in the the podcast prior, and that's uh, that. Yeah, you said you wanted to get ready a little bit and Good have your all your ducks in a row, and I think yeah. that's awesome. Well, as always, great to talk to you, sir. All righty. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone, and uh, nice talking to you, buddy. Yes, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, all the whatever holiday greeting suits you, dear listener. <laughs> and we will see you in the next episode.